which is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Kane, son. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green, Christian Motzka, and Maj. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hello. Hey, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling good. You know, we're moving away from Halloween, but I'm still feeling pretty spooky. And I think we have a really good roundtable tonight uh, to discuss something that we got into a little bit on our previous episode, but it's such a a loaded topic that we kind of put the brakes on it a little bit because although people have been talking for decades about Alien being Lovecraftian, the idea of Prometheus being very Lovecraftian is something that it really is from the last decade, of course. And in that context has had some pretty direct ramifications on, for example, Guillermo del Toro, other unrealized projects. And it gives us a window to look at Alien in a way that is more literally Lovecraftian than some of the other things we talked about on the last one. So yeah, Christian, how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling pretty good. Since our last recording, I've been doing a lot of soul searching because I think I I kind of came down hard. Uh, you know, my my hot take was that Prometheus is not Lovecraftian, and I've there's much more to talk about there. It's much more nuanced. And to that end, I thought it would be might, might be fun if Maz joined us because Maz is another Lovecraft fan, like a a secret connection besides the alien stuff. So Maz, here you are. What is your history? with Mr. Lovecraft. Well, I'm going to I'm going to just hedge everything right now. I'm a relative newbie, but I do love I love Lovecraft. <laughs> My journey with like his writings and then literary criticism about him and learning about his life and all that, that started about a year and a half ago in like summer 2021, but before then it was just his influence that bleeds through to all and that's the amazing thing once you start reading his stuff you're just like boy like it just keeps coming you just keep there's just so much stuff that he whether he did it first he was the absolute originator maybe maybe not of of a certain idea or a certain image or a, a creature or whatever but he it's like simpsons did it first like he did do it before whatever you saw it in you know he he touched on it first but i've been like working my way through his his writings and also just trying to get a real grip on this all kind of started because I wanted to create something in his lineage, I guess, something cosmic horror, something Lovecraftian. I always knew the name. I'd probably been familiar with his name since high school, but never really dove in until recently because I don't think maybe I would, I wouldn't hold every creative person to a certain standard of who you need to research or whatever. But for me, I felt like I would be, uh, you know, it would be incomplete for me to not familiarize myself. And of course, 
he's he's definitely held a certain allure for me because he's from my part of the world. And when I look around, I see sometimes names that he puts in his stories and just the way he describes certain places. And he has a he had a real love for where he was from, I feel, which I um, I don't know, just adds an extra cool layer for me. I have a question for you guys, because I think the last episode, because I couldn't make it to the 200th episode, the last one I was on was another Prometheus episode. So like, did I wrong any of you guys at any point in the past? Are you guys mad at me? Is that is, <laughs> is that what's going on? I'm just kidding. But I think it's interesting. The, the, the There is so much to chew on with Prometheus via, via Lovecraft or Lovecraft via Prometheus, because and then going into covenant because okay here's the thing when i started reading his stories i was a bit daunted because i got the whole volume i got the huge book with every story he's ever written so i was like i'm just going to start with like the two pagers i can't dive into the huge ones um so i've only now in preparation for this recording read at the mountains of madness and there's obviously a lot of prometheus in there but i found there's a lot they really carried it through to covenant am i wrong I don't want to spoil the story either, but it's like a hundred year old story almost. <laughs> yeah. It's from 1931. We can spoil that. I think we're okay. Yeah. To really, truly have this discussion, we just have to assume either people have read it or, or they're going to have to accept that we're mm-hmm. going right to the end because it is a slow, slow burn and then a mm-hmm. race to the finish line. So you have to give away the ending to actually talk about what it is. So you've read at the mountains of madness. I have. Fantastic. Spoilers ahead, folks. And another thing about Lovecraft that I feel really attracts me, at least, and maybe others, is in this kind of, I think, ties into why he and Alien have this connection is because even um, in that interview that you guys did with the Aliens Expanded folks, one of uh, the interviewees pointed out that Alien or Aliens, maybe in particular he was talking about, isn't it's essentially coming from an angle of hard sci-fi. It's something that's not totally out of the realm of, you know, it, the setting kind of can make some scientific sense. And then it takes another step into imagination or whatever you want to call it, the unknown. And that was Lovecraft all over. And particularly in the, ma- at the mountains of madness, because he was so obsessed with like fidelity to science and he was really you could tell how into different scientific concepts he was and he that that's what i think is amazing about his work is that it wasn't just him imagining scary monsters it was him really kind of trembling and quaking at the idea of what's really out there and he lived at this period in time that I think is so fascinating at like the turn of the 20th century when there's a lot of scientific breakthroughs happening there's a lot of technology being invented but there's still all these holdovers from the previous 100 years of folklore and and myths and or or you know forget 100 years going back forever but i i read in this other book a long time ago it's the um, the lost city of z which is kind of a real world lovecraftian tale of a guy going to you know some exotic esoteric dangerous place to find runes and 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 a stone city and all that um and there there's a part taken out because the story is about a guy named Percy Fawcett. It's a really interesting, fascinating story. I recommend to anybody. Um, he was alive during that time. And they they take out some time to explain how there was sort of this weird overlap happening with what 
people knew about the world and what people speculated about the world and was magic really actually out there people are making these things out of you know this technology is emerging and like you know where it was just this interesting time of like blurred lines of of the, that I um that I'm really into but um but I I feel like that kind of is uh is what ties it to alien so much Well, can I just piggyback on that for a second? Please. You brought up a lot of really interesting things to tease out, but I think one thing that we didn't really talk too much about in the last one that I'm glad you're bringing up is that, you know, Christian was mentioning how Lovecraft, you know, amended things based on new scientific discoveries and things mm-hmm. and, and his, his you know, predilection for that. But I, I would argue that that's one of the reasons why Prometheus is so directly influenced by it, because Ridley Scott, of course, doesn't talk about Lovecraft as a reference uh, for Prometheus, but he does talk about Eric Van Daniken. Am I saying that wrong? Daniken? Eric Van Daniken? I don't know. He's the guy that made the documentary, quote unquote, documentary Chariots of the Gods, right? Which is a, uh, it was like a cultural bomb that went off in the, I think, 1960s, late 60s, that Ridley saw and was, you know, heavily influenced by. It was also a book that went with it. And in that, there's this very Lovecraftian idea that ancient aliens visited the planet and that there's all this evidence for them and that that's where sentience comes from, right? So I don't know if Eric Van Daniken was ever outright, you know, saying that he was influenced by Lovecraft, but it's very Lovecraftian. So no matter what, Ridley was reading that and was inspired in part when making Prometheus along with Spates and everybody else to incorporate some of those themes. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind whatsoever, although I don't remember having read about it, that John Spates was hugely influenced by specifically at the Mountains of Madness when he was writing Prometheus. There's just there's no way that that can't be the case. But um, I do think that the commitment to scientific accuracy or the appearance of it, the get your drinking glasses ready, verisimilitude that paying attention to science gives a story, I think, is part of what inspired people like Eric Von Dannigan to investigate those themes and then Ridley Scott, by virtue of that, to go down the same route. I don't know if others have thoughts on that. Well, just quickly, I think it's really interesting because Lovecraft was rooting his horror in science, even though he's been gone since the 1930s. I just was listening to a podcast today about dark matter, dark energy in the quantum realm. And it's the most Lovecraftian awfulness, you know, the, the absurdity of the universe, the uncaringness, and, and just the fact that it's not too far down, you know, before we stop understanding how the, the, the base elements of particles even can exist. And then the, the, the idea of the vast majority of the universe is dark matter, we think, but we can't describe it, we can't measure it. It just we can just feel the gravitational pull of it. That's just so intrinsically horrifying that Lovecraft would have loved that. So there, that's the science part of it. Um, you bringing up uh, Von Daniken? Is that how you pronounced him? Yeah, I'm um, going to look it up while we're talking, but I think it's Von okay. Daniken. It's Eric. It's Eric von something. You guys, 
must have heard at some point the the whole talk of of lizard people that there's politicians who are actually lizards, right? Yes. Uh, David Ike is the one who who popularized that, but it's from a Robert E. Howard Conan story. That's the the origin of the whole thing. Uh, there were these shape shifting lizard people, and Lovecraft brings a little bit of lizard people stuff into his stories. But this was just a joke between them that David Ike had read those stories and ran with it as a metaphor. And so anytime you hear people talking about, you know, so-and-so politician is a lizard person, that's a Conan reference. So that's kind of funny. Um, just, just to, just for the record, it is in fact, Eric Von Dan again, there you go. Continue. Fantastic. I think that the enough plot points in Prometheus are lifted directly from at the mountains of madness that nobody involved wants to say that out loud because you start getting lawyers involved when you do that. Uh, the, the fourth parts of the Caribbean movie accidentally lifted story elements from a novel. And so they had to go to the novelist and get him to sign off on it. And so this poor guy, it, it's nothing like his book, but there's just enough story points that, so they didn't get sued later. They had to rope him in on it. Yeah. So Prometheus, should, should we, is it worth giving a quick synopsis of At the Mountains of Madness so that our poor listeners who are now having it spoiled can, can really see what we're talking about? Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Okay. Should I get, give it a stab? And, Please and, do okay. it. Yeah. I, I have a one, a one paragraph version too, if, in case this Ooh. goes on too long, but go for it. <laughs> All right. Um, the simple version is that Countless, countless eons ago, um, a, an alien race that is referred to as the Old Ones came to Earth, which was a barren planet, and they colonize it. And in the process, they've been to many other planets. They have a, um, a subservient, like a slave race that they refer to as Shoggoths. And in the process of making Shoggoths here in order to build their cities and, and all of their technology, um, life on Earth is accidentally created. So all Earth life, including humans, is, a, is an accidental byproduct that they didn't feel the need to stamp out. It just was there. The Shagaths um, end up rebelling against the Old Ones. And there's a, it happens a couple of times. And in the end, they, they overthrow the Old Ones. So you have this city in Antarctica that is the last holdout of where these, these Old Ones had been. Um, that... Again, it's, it's absolutely ancient. And so when human explorers come to the Arctic, they discover um, a collection of old ones who are frozen in the ice. And when they revive them, the old ones dissect the humans um, and then kind of escape. And the, the, remaining humans try, try, uh, the remaining humans track them to this city. And in the, the process of exploring the city, they discover the entire history of this race written in these huge bas-reliefs and, and things. And of course, what we discover is the Shoggoths aren't gone and they're the actual threat and, and they, they chase the heroes out and they have to escape. Um, I didn't do a very good job of that, but there you go. <laughs> I think that was a great that. job. My, my, yeah. my one paragraph version was just there's an, there's an Antarctic expedition to go discover the source of life or discover what's out there. And in the process, they accidentally wake up these things that they thought were dead. They find out that humanity was basically a joke that just never got ended. And uh, they are vivisected and killed. And then the Shoggoths, which were the actual problem in the first place, come to finish the job off. And a couple of them escape uh, and they are crazy. That's, that's basically yep. it. But that's yeah. also basically Prometheus, right? 
and a little bit of the thing. It sounds like the oh, thing, thing where they very thing. much. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it should be said, uh, Christian, in a way, told the story backwards. We're seeing the story through the eyes of these explorers <laughs> and what we learn. Uh, all the the amazing lore stuff that Christian just uh, just laid out is is discovered kind of in maybe like the last thirty pages or maybe forty pages, um, and them getting to. Uh, this ancient city in Antarctica and the the descriptions of it and what they see on the way even is like a whole chapter. And it's so um, like lovingly uh, explained, like it um, it's a real, it's a real mood piece. One thing in the story that I thought was like, just personally for me was like, that's in Prometheus. Like there's, I think on a previous episode, I tried, you know, and failed to explain a feeling that, I have, or, you know, hopefully have when I rewatch Prometheus on, on the odd occasion that I do, but certainly did the first time I watched it where when they get to the room with the ampules and they see the statue of the head that affected me so much, even though the trip, unfortunately, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have worked, but it's so glossed over. They're just there all of a sudden the, the idea that something recognizable would be so unfathomably far from earth is is freaky and there's a part in the story in at the mountains of madness where um they and another great thing about the story is that there's these layers they keep peeling back they see something unbelievable and then they go further and they go further um which i love and um at one point where they're where they've gone so unbelievably far and so many people have been lost they um encounter traces of their past crewmates and um you know recognizable things like gasoline the smell of gasoline and that almost unnerves them even more than the creepy stuff they've been seeing and uh upon finding like the the remnants of their of their uh stuff um, there's just this one line I highlighted and it said the effect of the site down there in that pre in the pre-human vaults of a, of a nightmare city was almost too much to bear. And uh, I don't know, that just speaks to me. I don't know if, if Spates like picked up on that <laughs> specific line or if I'm just like uh, ascribing that to it. But there's something about that 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 I really like that there. Uh, that's something about Lovecraft I really like is that it's material it's the idea that it's it's it is out there you just like it's for those you know foolish or brave enough to like to go seek it out but in some dark corner that stuff does exist and it is there and yeah i love that about it Um, do you guys think is I remember, you know, I feel like it's been something people have said for a while about Prometheus. If it wasn't an alien movie, if it was just like its own movie, it, you know, it probably would have been better. And it's what do you guys think about that? Do you think because it, it is like it is interesting, but it is, you know, it might might have run the risk of being called like a pale imitation of At the Mountain's Madness, but I don't know. Jamie? So I think that's a tricky question. Um, well, number one, because we're this is a Lovecraft comparison, and I don't want to um, get into 
like I I want to f- stick firmly into the horror aspects of this, the kind of cosmic aspects of this, as opposed to whether Prometheus will work on its own if it sure. wasn't attached to Alien. I feel like it's a that's a different discussion. But yeah, we can what, that. to that point though, I I I do want to say when I saw Prometheus, I think I saw it twice or maybe four times. Maybe it was only twice in the theater. I remember not being able to sleep after I saw it. I remember not being able to stop thinking about it. It just sat with me and it was scared me. And I don't, I didn't really know why it was doing, it was scaring me, but there was something that it tapped into that I still really can't fully pinpoint now. And I think a lot of it has to do with what they discovered, uh, the mysteriousness of those of the uh, engineers, the fact that we don't really know what they are. They're an alien in some way. They, we look at them, but we don't know what they want. We don't know what they're saying now. Maybe David does, but we still don't really know what, I mean, I know that there are some edits where there's subtitles, but they didn't use those. So they left it mysterious, which I thought was a great move for Ridley Scott, oddly enough. Um, And I feel like what scares me about, Prometheus, because there's something really there. There's something really, there's something, it's like you, it's like you walk into a, walk down into like a place where the light is off and it gets darker and darker and darker the further you get from the light. And I feel like Prometheus has that going for it. There's just this real darkness to it, but I can't pinpoint what that is because so a lot of it is superfluous and a lot of it isn't, but when they, and then, you know, you're there, well, even for instance, the hammerpeed scene, that's pretty scary. That thing, and, and I, like, and I don't even mean like the oh, pretty baby thing. Not even so much what they're doing, but this thing that just kind of rises up out of the, out of the like the mud. I don't know what this thing is. I don't know what it wants. It's completely inexplainable. Now I know in other cuts there are worms, and then it, they are exposed to the um, the goo. But that scene was cut out, so the hammerpeed just appears. To me, that first moment when you see it slinking in the black soot, silk, soot or silk or whatever you want to call it, and then it rises up, that really scared me because I'd never seen anything like it. And it's it, it plays into some of the things that we've discussed before in terms of looking into oblivion. Now, it's not an alien. It's not um, some of the other things that we were talking about, but it's unexplainable what we're seeing. We don't really know what this thing wants, but there's something deeper going on in Prometheus that for me screams Lovecraft. And I don't know what that is. And maybe you guys do, but it's not anything I've been able to pinpoint, but it's the one thing that that movie has stuck with me and I don't watch it very often, but I will watch it again because I I can't get to the bottom of it. For one thing, you bring up the hammerpeed, the fact that there's a hammerpeed, there's the, 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 the trilobite, there's all these, there's all these different uh um creatures. I feel like makes you qu- question the rules of like if it makes you feel like anything can happen. And I feel like that adds a layer of terror to it. I feel like one possible interpretation, if you're if you're gonna compare the texts, is that the engineers are the old ones. They're the they're the creators, they're the ones that you know make human life exist. And I think that if you use that comparison, then the black goo actually kind of becomes the Shagath stand-in because it's a tool. It's something that they are using. It gets out of control. Um, we have the, you know, the wonderful ghost-like 
uh, recording of the engineers running from something that's killing them. That, that's analogous to the Shagoth revolt. Um, obviously, the trilobite comes from the black goo, and that is the most Shagoth-esque thing with its, you know, its white writhing tentacles and, and everything like that. That's not the only interpretation. And at the end of the podcast, I'm going to throw out my, my crazy theory, my Lovecraft interpretation of this film. But for right now, though, I think that that's, I think most people would say that. Would you agree, Patrick, that the old ones and the engineers are kind of the. Oh, yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. But I do think that Prometheus improves upon it in one regard. But are you done with your comics? I don't want to. Oh, yeah, please. You run. So. For me, what I think Jamie's getting at is like what makes the the engineers in particular so frightening. What I love is that a lot of people, when they adapt Lovecraft, and I hold this against The Thing, even, you know, the John Carpenter film, which is like top three favorite movies of all time for me. It's one of my obsessions. Everybody gets so fixated on the biomorphology of these creatures, right? On making things look crazy and scary. And, you know, a lot of that's because Lovecraft gives us a lot of really wonderful, contradictory things. He jams animal parts together and gives us these weird barrel-shaped creatures. And we're trying to figure out, like, what what does that look like? And the act of doing that is really fun and scary to do when you're reading something. But when you see it in a movie, it just sort of becomes like, oh, okay, it's just like another monster. Okay, you know, th- I mean, that's why there's no, like, convincing Cthulhu out there on film is because it always just kind of looks like, oh, it's, you know, uh, an octopus man with wings and whatever. But what I love is that, at the Mountains of Madness, of course, the old ones are starfish-headed, you know, monstrosities. Like, they're they're very much not humanoid. The horror of them comes from the fact that they look like that, etc., but more so that they fulfilled a role that we thought we were the ones fulfilling, right? So we're scared of them because if this beast, this, like, wild animal crazy thing can, you know, be so far advanced from us, like, what does that say about us and what we thought of ourselves? And like, maybe we're not the beautiful creators that we thought we were, blah, 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 blah. But what's so cool about Prometheus, though, is that it does something very Lovecraftian and that it takes this this monstrosity and it makes it literally us, right? Like, the engineers are just people with very slight variations, but like at the end of the day, they're about as humanoid as any extraterrestrial creature could possibly look. You know, I mean, they have dark scleras and they're a little bit taller and, you know, muscular, but like, but they're, but they're, but they're people, they're just pale people. Right. So that's so scary because not only are they fulfilling the role that we expected to be the ones fulfilling, you know, Ad Astra, but they also look like us. Right. They're like the perfected versions of ourselves. Like, like, and we look at ourselves and we're all so much shorter than them and less muscular. And we're, you know, not these perfect statues. And like, we see our imperfections in a weird way compared to them, biologically speaking, even if, you know, they're not necessarily attractive by human standards, they're biologically strong and, you know, imposing, et cetera. So I think something that's really fascinating about that is that Prometheus, so to me, the hammer Pete has never been even, even remotely scary at all. Although I'm not saying it can't be for other people, and obviously I'm sure it is. But I, I let me I, let me yeah. just uh, jump in quickly. I don't think the hammer repeat itself is scary. It was just some. It was the idea that something from in this planet that's unknown slinks its way up to you and, and coils up. That idea scares me. Mm. That it's, yeah, it's, familiar. it's a spooky idea. Yeah. yeah. But I think the, the to, to me, like the reason why it doesn't scare me is because it's just doing what a cobra does, right? Like it's just in a, it's in a defense posture. So it's just like biologically analogous to something that we already see and we know to retreat from. And it's just sort of like guarding a egg silo or whatever, guarding a, you know, a, a can, um, but an urn, but the uh, same thing with the trilobite, like the trilobite should be so scary 
but it it's not for me at all. Like I'm scared of that fucking engineer. I'm not scared of the trilobite. Like the trilobite is just kind of gross. But like the scary thing is the engineer. Similar to the alien, to the you know XX one two one xenomorph that we get in, in in Big Chap. Like the reason that's so scary to us is because we see so much of ourselves in it. But because we see so much of ourselves in it, we see how far apart we are from it. Like we see how truly alien it is, right? And we've talked at you know ad nauseum about this with the engineers. I think part of why they're so scary to us is because we see so much of ourselves in them, and then we see the vast distance between the two. So like just like Mash was saying. Like the first time I saw the head, you know, that that was an unforgettable moment in the movie theater. Like the first time I saw that the bas relief, like the first time I saw these these crazy images that spoke to a history that I had no awareness of, that's where like the Lovecraftian fear comes in for me. And I think that's part of the enduring power of Prometheus. I similarly was very disturbed by it. I only saw it once in theaters because I, I had a lot of issues with it that I continue to have, but I, I still thought about that movie a lot. And I continue to just this last weekend, somebody was making fun of it. You know, I was hanging out with a bunch of people and I was like, you know what? I actually hang on Prometheus has a lot. And it became this whole conversation and people were like, do we really have to talk about alien again? And I'm like, yes, because <laughs> don't, don't Prometheus is a way more intelligent movie than it appears to be. And these are some of the reasons why it has amazing thematic things to say in a very frightening way, in my opinion. Hmm. It, you're touching on something that really got under my skin in at the mountains of madness where we're learning about the the old ones and and how they ascend they created the shoggoths christian that's right and essentially enslaved them they're a working class uh, or whatever and then they essentially created humans or early humanoid ish uh creatures and, and that were just completely disposable for as a as either entertainment or for whatever purposes and i feel like there's something about the shoggoths being this subservient like race in this there's something about what you're saying patrick about like seeing the similarities to us and seeing the gulf between us and them it, you're speaking i think more like in a in a physical sense but if in like this sort of bird's eye view of a society or of a civilization it kind of is like well yeah we do that we have a working class we have and it's just like you suddenly feel this sick pit in your stomach for these shoggoths that are just live to serve and they're they're these grotesque beings and you're and it's just kind of like oh we're you know that's kind of us we're just toiling in the muck you know kind of like the shoggoths or or we're even worse we're this you know, even more tertiary, like uh, subspecies of something that's just here for something, something, someone's amusement or whatever. It is, it is just very dark. There's something also to see for them to to come across in the story to come across these bas reliefs, which are of course echoed in Prometheus that that tell the whole story of their civilization. There's something about unknowing and seeing the beginning, middle, and end of a whole civilization, a whole race. That is very chilling, I feel, because that really just kind of like, oh, I, yeah, I think it, it's echoed in Prometheus, like you, as you were illustrating. Patrick, that's a really interesting idea that I hadn't thought of that because I, I fault the engineers for being humanoid. I, I, I felt like that was such a weak choice. But every time somebody presents uh, a truly alien looking creature in a film, I'm thinking, oh, did they do that practically? Is that CGI? I wonder how they designed that. I'm out of it, you know. Whereas with the engineer, it is a it's a prosthetic on an actual person who was there on set, 
uh, is not even digitally manipulated. I mean, they, they do some camera tricks to make him look a little bit taller, but it's not a mocap suit or any of that stuff. And so maybe that cuts through all that bullshit and keeps just the unknowable. Like here is a thing that represents something unknowable. And maybe you're right that the fact that it looks humanoid, but it's not human. It's kind of like at the end of, of 2049, we got that, that shot of, uh, of joy with the, with the black eyes and there's that sort of shark face kind of thing. It, it just, it, it taps on in something deep in our brains that, that, I don't know. Uh, it's it's very creepy. So that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. Can I just say one brief thing just about that before? Because it's something that Jamie and I have talked about in previous episodes that I don't want to forget about. Not only does it give us the opportunity to see something unmistakably like us, but we hear something unmistakably like us. And that to me is scarier, actually. To me, the best part of Prometheus is when the final engineer is chasing them in the ship and we hear his footsteps. That is the fucking scariest thing in Prometheus because they are unmistakably human. The sound of his feet on the ship as he's running around sounds like a heavy person, not like an animal. There's no claws scraping. It sounds like a fucking human. And that sound to me is so scary because you forget for a moment that he's not. So I want to describe something about Prometheus as it relates to Lovecraft, but I want to kind of go back and remember when I was a kid, I remember I would have these flashes. I would be laying in my bed or I would just, I'd have these existential flashes and I would look at my hands and my arms and, and realize this body's going to be on a slab one day. I, I I don't know why I would think that as a child. It would terrify me, terrify me because it's a incontrovertible truth. And it's just, it's just, that's what's going to, that's what's going to happen to all of us. We're going to pass away, whether we are, uh, cremated or whatever, our bodies gonna be, are going to be on a table for a bit, and then they'll go where they're going to go. But I remember how that just terrified me because what's behind that is, well, what's next? Where where are we? I, even though I was being rela- raised religious, I didn't at that age I didn't believe anything. So I fast forward to Prometheus and subsequently Lovecraft. What terrifies me about both of about Lovecraft's work and about Prometheus is it taps into some type of cosmic truth that we're all tied to. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is, but I feel like there's something at the heart of Lovecraft's work and his themes that tap into that as well. Am I on the right path with that? Definitely. I think. Yeah. Everyone you have a dark view of the, of life (laughs) in the universe. Go on Christian. Well, everyone gets caught up in the, you know, Lovecraft's overuse of adjectives, you know, squamous, eldritch, Batrachian, Cyclopean. Cyclopean, oh man. You know, and or or the the fixation on tentacles, which actually is overplayed. But anyway, all of that was just set dressing. Lovecraft wanted his stories to make you feel like you were insignificant in the universe, that you are in an uncaring universe. You live, you die, and nothing mattered. It didn't matter. And some people find comfort in that. Most people like, wow, that really, you know, goes right up against my my personally held beliefs. I remember, <laughs> it's a quick tangent. Uh, there was a um, many, many years ago, I was dating this lady 
And I was telling her my belief that life doesn't particularly matter, that the universe will go on without us and all this stuff. And she said, yes, but the love that, that humanity created will live on. Okay. We're not speaking the same language. <laughs> I don't believe that love is a concept that exists outside of our brains. But anyway, so Lovecraft would say, no, there's, there's no meaning to it, which doesn't mean that your life isn't full of meaning to you. But what he wanted his stories to say to us or to, to pass, the, the feeling he wanted to have passed on was that we are truly insignificant. And that's actually why Prometheus rubs me the wrong way is because through Dr. Shaw and through what we see of the, um, the origins of things, it really appears that humanity is important. Humanity is uh, central to whatever it is the engineers are trying to do. And the question of what did we do wrong? Why do the engineers hate us now? Um, it's not answered, but it's, it's articulated. The question is articulated and then the film doesn't say anything more about it and the sequel doesn't give us anything more. So you can take away from it the idea that humans were very, very important. And then we did something that annoyed or, or angered the engineers. And so they have to wipe us out. And again, you have, you've, you've placed earth and humanity at the very center of a story that from the very first film was not that we, the alien was supposed to be telling us it's a hostile universe and you have no business being out here. So I think that there is a way to get around that, but the, it, and, and John Spates has said this in interviews Like he felt like to make the story work, it had to be involving the origin of humanity. What do you guys think about that? Well, I, this is something that we've talked about quite a bit. I think when, when you have been on the show and, and if so, please cut me off and I'll delete this from the episode. But what, what to me, the way that I reconcile that, I also have to call out the fact that I'm defending Prometheus fucking left and right tonight, which is out <laughs> of character for me. But I, I look at it more as we were like an experiment that that we were something, you know, probably one of many and that we passed this like intelligence test basically that they had put to see if they needed to stop us. Right. So like the idea being that if we kind of stayed in our lane and just carried on as our own little experiment on this planet that we were fine. But if we tried to find them, if we picked up on the clues they were leaving, then that meant that we had transcended what they had intended for us, which was to be just this like cute little experiment and could potentially be a threat. And so that's why they wanted to wipe us out. That's kind of the way I reconcile that. How about you, Mesh? Does that ring true for you? That, sorry, I'm trying to better understand the question. Is it like, do I agree with your issue with Prometheus that it centers <laughs> human humanity too much or that it was that, that avenue that Spates took was the right one? I take issue with Prometheus for making humanity, in my opinion, mm. too central to the alien story. By, you know, the, the, the engineer wakes up after 2000 years, immediately gets pissed off, kills some humans and gets in his ship to fly to earth to destroy human humanity. Mm -hmm. That's, that makes humans way more important in the, in the universe than what I got from the original film. I think that's fair. I mean, I haven't, I hadn't really thought of it that way to think he's kind of the last survivor of a race. And he's like, oh man, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go take care of those humans instead of, um, yeah, it does kind of shrink everything a little bit, I guess. This is kind of maybe an extension of the issue most of us had is like a knee-jerk reaction of just like, you're telling me it was a guy in a suit. But um, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's certainly not, I would agree with you that it's not completely in line with maybe the ethos of Alien and certainly not, yeah, Lovecraft. 
Um, one thing that I, I think ties Prometheus to Lovecraft pretty well is, and, and I agree, Patrick, the thing is like, you know, about as perfect as a movie can get. It's a brilliant, you know, unofficial Lovecraft adaptation. Um, but there was, um, I read this really great book that I can't remember the name of, but it was written in the early nineties by, um, a literary critic um, named uh, Michel Hulebeck. Um, you ever read this Christian? It's like, um, like 120 pages. It's a, it, it's about Lovecraft and, uh, and basically one thing he keeps returning to is that Lovecraft's main, not that this isn't something maybe you could derive yourself by reading all his work, but his main preoccupations are wonderment and fear and how those things are kind of when when those two things are inextricable when you're when you're so scared that you're amazed and you're so amazed that you're scared basically and the thing doesn't have too many moments of wonder i would say maybe when they find the ship in the giant uh sort of canyon place but prometheus has moments of sort of like awe and i think alien has moments of awe of course and i think that is what kind of puts it over the thing, not that this uh, competition was ever, <laughs> I'm just making this up now, but like they, uh, I, I think they're a little truer to Lovecraft in that sense. Christian, my question for you would be, what is it about Prometheus that does stay with you? That does, uh, I don't know if haunt you is the right word, but that, that maybe um, terrifies you a little bit, or that just stays in your, in your subconscious that you kind of toss around. Well, Okay. Maybe to answer your question, I'll give you my crackpot theory of how the film can be interpreted in a Lovecraftian way. That that might answer yes. it. Here we go. Okay. So I, I posited earlier that the engineers are the old ones, if you're, if you're going on that. I'm going to take that back now. My interpretation is that the engineers are the Shoggoths. There is this weird silver spaceship in the opening sequence of the film that is a smooth almond shaped ship that we've never seen again, never saw it before. Those are the old ones. Something is in that ship and I'm gonna call it Prometheus. So Prometheus is up there in that ship. There's a godlike entity and the Shoggoths, now engineers, are doing his bidding. The Shoggoths sacrifice themselves to seed these planets, right? And this is all in a prehistory sort of period. The Shoggoths are also sent back. The, the engineers are sent to Earth to, to lead humans in certain places and to guide them. And that's where we have these paintings or these, these markings in caves that are all pointing to a location. When in the, in the film, when humans get to that location, what they discover is a place that has been corrupted. Okay. It's described as like a, 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 a biological warfare um, uh, lab, but that's not what its intention was. The place has clearly been taken over. So at some point between the opening scene and the rest of the film, there has been a revolt. The Shoggoths have revolted. These new angry Shoggoths, the engineers that are, that are almost biomechanical. I don't, people call them suits. I don't think they're wearing suits. I think that there's something inherently different. They are free of Prometheus's control. They have taken over this location and in in at the mountains of madness um our two protagonists as they're going through they start noticing the artwork has been altered 
that an, a different artist has marred the work. That palimpsest is the word that Lovecraft uses to write over. And there are these deep grooves and dots that are mocking is the feeling that they had. If you look at the engineer sculpture head in Prometheus, it has these deep grooves and pockmarks. You go to Covenant, they don't have those markings. There's some age lines, but you don't have these inset, um, I, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be the written language, but there's, the face has been defaced. So if that's the face of this, of this old one, of this Prometheus, then the, 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 the revolting engineers have defaced that sculpture. They are, now this is, gets into that Prometheus cycle from, from mythology where Prometheus is punished. Every day he is tortured and dies over and over again for giving fire to humanity. I think that what this film is telling us is all of the worlds that they have gone and seeded, these revolting engineers are going to go and destroy one after another in a cyclical fashion that matches the punishment of Prometheus. Now Earth dies, now this planet dies, now this planet dies. And as further proof of that, when you go to Covenant, the spaceship took them to that planet with a cargo. They, you know, David says, oh, I piloted it. No, they went to the planet that it was meant to go to, that he misinterprets as the home world, and he dumps that cargo. That was the intention. That's another of these seeded planets. That's my interpretation. But anyway, behind the head in, that, in the room that has all of the, the urns, that's where you see that sculpture, the bas-relief that, that looks to be an alien and has the, gro the, the glowing green stone in front of it. That could be a newer religion. This is the religion of these, of these new engineers. Um, and, and because they have marked themselves or they have, have they transformed themselves, they're the ones that are experimenting with this black goo in order to exact this revenge on what used to be the master race or the, or the whatever. So... I think that's all of my points, but it ties into, into Lovecraft's idea of a, a culture that we see at its prime, and then we see it decay. We see that, it, that it's come back down. And so that's why the, these star maps that are found all over Earth are telling us to go to this place, but then you go to the place and the, the civilization that had told you to go there is now gone, and what has replaced it is hostile to us. And I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'm, I'm more at peace with that little wrinkle in the movie because before I'm like, I don't understand why would you give us a map to go to a place that's the origin of where death has been sent to us that it just seems like a contradiction. But so the sense of, to answer your question, Jamie, the sense of there having been something that maybe humans could have reached and gotten answers, the answers that Shaw wants um, and having that now gone because like all civilizations, it's, it's crumbled. It's, it's, been, um, it's been replaced with something that's hostile. I think that's really, really interesting. Um, and I do like that the film doesn't answer all these questions. This is just entirely my interpretation of it, but I think it kind of works. What do you guys think of that? Uh, with the Shoggoths, uh, there's that scene in Prometheus where when they first walk into, they go into the tunnel and they're in the structure or whatever. And they turn on the computer or whatever and the holograms appear and you see all of the engineers in their in their actual suits running down a hallway like they're terrified and they never explain that they never explain what they're running from and it almost based off what you guys have been saying makes me think that the old ones or whoever is above them 
was there and they were terrified of them. I mean, I guess some theories are it could have been an alien that they were running from, but that doesn't really make any sense to me. There was no, they didn't really, I mean, the only hint at having an alien was the the relief that you see with the alien with his arms outstretched and the, and the crown or whatever it's wearing. But that to me feels like it's playing into Lovecraft's theme of this supreme being making this lower being um again i i don't have any answers i don't know what they were running from but something was in play there something was something was happening in that civilization that i don't know that was terrifying them and then subsequently terrified the humans that discovered it yeah i i love that christian i I think you've you might have brought that up once offline uh also and i've I've been kind of haunted by that idea ever since I, i got chills when you were reading that i think that were when you were relaying that to us i love that interpretation of it and i also love that the film doesn't either confirm or deny it right that that's just you know that that another thing to prometheus's credit which again i'm defending a lot is that it's very open-ended whether by you know intentional omission or just by lazy writing like there's a lot of gaps in it right one of the great sources of horror for it is what you guys are talking about which is that after all that searching for this world they arrive at the home world and it's not only desolate it's scary like it's it's black which is very lovecraftian that at the at this this you know promised center where we're going to find ultimately meaning um there was there was oblivion like we keep saying right and the fact that you don't see what they're running from is so scary because you can look at that through any number of ways. In my interpretation of it, they're running from a pathogenic outbreak that they couldn't control, that you know that the ampules had spilled or that they, they, they had accelerated and that engineers were turning against themselves and turning into things that they could no longer inhabit and uh, and things were, were kind of spiraling. But there's this real sense of, of not only of, – of, this beautiful after echo of an apocalypse, right? Like we get there and we only see what happened afterwards. And so few movies do that because there's so much drama to come from watching something unravel. But a brilliant thing Prometheus does is it just says, fuck it. Like, that's not the point. Like, we're not going to give you that bread trail to find your way home with. Like the, what, what you have is, is just this barren, terrifying wasteland with this one guy on it um i i do think part of what i love about the two christian is that you know when we see planet four or whatever planet we're talking about in covenant and we see these engineers who look very different like that so that's an example of something that to me i've always found inconceivable that people complain about and continue to complain about all the time the fact that they look different to me that's like very very clearly an intentional thing like there's a costume department that dressed these engineer-like creatures in completely different outfits and that had language that sounded different and they looked totally different because i think that's just another planet that they had tried to seed and that they were you know going to snuff out so 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 in my mind that was always kind of the the purpose of that um but yeah people always call that like a plot hole or something and i'm always kind of mystified because like i think these movies make huge mistakes a lot of the time and i'm not defending them 100 percent but i do think that the thematic underpinnings are pretty sound throughout both movies and they kind of reference each other and in doing so i think reference lovecraft by extension the the ghosts the ghost transmission of the running is is horrifying there's something there that is unknowable and that's good that's good i think the movie just keeps undercutting itself with the it's too rapidly edited and the terrible dialogue. If you can get past those, and I said this before, I want to find the right language track to switch it to that I don't know so that 
I can just pretend they're saying really, really smart things. But, you know, if I'm not being distracted by that or David touching everything, um, there is just some wonderfully haunting imagery in, in that first exploration of the caves and finding that room. Um, and as far as in, in Covenant, uh, even beyond the, um, the wardrobe, the benches and the tables are human-sized. Like, how do, you, how do you forget that you meant to have these things be 14 feet tall or even nine feet tall when you have these low, low benches and tables? Like, no, they're human-sized. They're just another, another seed race. Are we defending well, Prometheus? I know. I kind of <laughs> feel like I like Prometheus now. I don't know. This is getting weird. One thing that uh, you guys have been touching on, which I find as I think about the thing and what scares me about the things isn't really so much. Uh, yes, it's the presence of the th- whatever it is. We don't even know what it is, but it's the idea that it's telling us as, as humans, you mean nothing. You're inconsequential. You mean nothing. And I think as people, you know, as the way that we're raised by uh, our families and our mothers and the way we're raised in schools, oh, you're, you're wonderful. You're this, you, you know, you have dreams, you have this, you, you know, everything's about meaning. Everything's about finding meaning. And I feel like Lovecraft, um, he's kind of saying, well, nothing has meaning. It's very uh, fatalist. Nothing has meaning. You're on your own. Good luck. And, I think uh, the brilliance of Alien is that those moments when uh, Sigourney Weaver is, you know, it's right there and she's in the suit and it's about, you know, it's got its little thing extended and, you know, it's terrifying. And and when it's um, looking at Lambert, again, to something Patrick said, it's kind of looking at the face of oblivion. And in that moment, we mean nothing to it. We're just a means to an end. It's just something it has to get. We're something it has to get through to do what it's going to do. And we don't really know what it's going to do. Whereas in, and that's what scares me the most about the creature. That's what scares me about alien. And there are elements in Prometheus that I feel that way, that I feel like we're nothing, but to an earlier point that you made Christian um, like, or question that you asked, like, what do you think about the importance of the humans in, in Prometheus? I feel like it, you're right. Uh, to its detriment, Prometheus elevates us. Like then Elizabeth Shaw is like, I'm going to find where they live. And I'm going to go to their home planet or whatever she talks. Um, and she's going there and it, it makes worse. The reality should have been she should have been so terrified. She should have been so uh, terrifyingly awed by what she experienced and what she saw. It, it should have killed her just from fright, just from looking into the face of it's it's almost the face of death. And, you know, she has her cross and she believes in God. And that I'm not saying that her experience, you know, whatever happened on Evely Fortu. LV423 or is it LV223? I'm you know whatever happened on there should have called into question everything that she believed. And you kind of hint that maybe it does a little bit but it doesn't really. But really she looked into oblivion and it didn't really affect her that much, but it would have. The same way I think about a movie like Interstellar and when they make wake up Matt Damon and he starts bawling because he's lost in oblivion. He's lost in nothingness. He's he, the only thing he could do is to go back to sleep because he's on this planet that is just there to kill him essentially. Um, and I, yeah, I, I feel like 
Prometheus ultimately doesn't work because humans do what humans do or the writers do what humans do, which is, well, we're the most important thing. How do we figure this out? And that's not, that's not the realistic response. And I think Lovecraft's themes and Lovecraft's responses are the better ones. Lovecraft definitely would have killed Shaw or driven her insane. That's well, for she sure. And he did get killed. So that's true. And, and of course he was an atheist. He was a very, you know, science minded person. He probably would have had a lot of disdain for her and her, uh, her cross. We're going to take a break and be right back. We all remember that moment. The first time we heard a theme from our favorite movie. How it stayed with us, comforted us, stirring our imagination. Sublime Noise is our Patreon-exclusive film score review show. Starting at just $4 a month, you will gain access to Sublime Noise, as well as our Warehouse of Framerate episodes, where we discuss and review our favorite films. To sign up, go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Before we wrap, can you guys explain what you see in Covenant that is Lovecraftian? Because that one is is a little more of a mystery to me. I'd love to know. I can go with that. I also want to just be careful to continue to credit Sarah Welsh Larson for the Oblivion thing, because I think that I said that having been inspired by her writing. So I don't want to take credit for her amazing work on that, but I'm glad that that has continued to. Yo, she fucking hates you (laughs) (laughs) because it's a really great way to look at it. In terms of covenant, I don't think covenant is particularly Lovecraftian. I think covenant is actually pre Lovecraftian. And by that, I mean, more related to the writings of, of authors by whom uh, Lovecraft was influenced, like people in the late romantic era, for example. So like, obviously Shelley gets quoted in it. You know, there's, there's other actual like literal references that come up in Prometheus. The idea is very Lovecraftian because it's about finding oblivion at the heart of the universe. And in doing so basically divining that things are meaningless in covenant, you see what we see in the late romantic era in not only literature, but in art and in music and in other forms of media, which is a deep search for meaning on on a subjective level. There's this whole trend in late romantic literature where authors and poets are trying to derive meaning from the universe in a way that speaks to them personally, that they have the truth and they have the answer. And by creating, by being Promethean, by bringing enlightenment to people that they can inspire and, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So what's so cool about about Covenant, I think, is that it looks for the horror within that idea too, because there is a shitload of horror in this idea that there is a subjective, you know, actually, Christian, earlier you were talking about how Lovecraft's idea of meaninglessness is a really objective one, right? That like outside of ourselves, there is no meaning. It doesn't mean that within ourselves, we can't find meaning in things and we can't find significance in things, that there is some degree of subjective meaningfulness there as well. What's so fascinating about Covenant is that it really takes that idea and looks for the implicit horror within it, which is like, what if one person's idea of meaning is is allowed to go in whatever direction it pleases to its ultimate end? And what if that person's idea of meaning is to create at the expense of everything else? So that, to me, is really in keeping with writers like Percy Bysshe Shelley, for example, who wrote about themes like that all the time. Uh, and I think that Ozymandias as a poem obviously speaks of those themes a lot as well. 
I think that that's it. What's interesting though is that like there's obviously still the carrying over of the Lovecraftian things in Prometheus, but they're kind of put to the side a little bit in search of this. This, to my mind, other inspiration. I have a final question for everyone. Um, this will probably be my last statement, and maybe it's a question. It's a big question, and I'm not asking you to answer it if you can, in your own subjective way. Uh, to Lovecraft's themes. Is there meaning outside of us? Is there meaning outside of our own the stories that we tell each other? Is is there? What do you think? Do things have meaning, or is it just us giving it meaning? Or will we go into oblivion, or will we? Is there something higher after this? No, is my answer. I I don't believe. I I don't okay. think. Like, look at a mountain. A mountain pre-exists us and will continue after us, mm. and is untouched by us. And also isn't sentient. I'm, I'm, I'm accidentally giving it a sense of sentience. I just feel, um, no, we, we exist now and what we do now is important in connections, but I don't think anything we do, any legacy except the damage we've done is going to remain behind us. Hmm. On certain days, I feel the exact same way. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Some part of me does think like it's impossible because we are part of we are made up of the same matter as the universe that maybe in some way, however many eons later that the particles will, whatever will have some sort of impact. But I mean, in uh, when I think about the actions of man and just uh, our history as humanity and how we'll probably go out. Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily see us having a huge imprint on the universe, but I'm quite okay with that because we, you know, we, you can derive so much meaning from, from your life as it is. I don't really need more than it, than, than this. I'm still trying to get this part, right. You know, than worrying about, you know, uh, a cosmic legacy, I guess. And what a question to end an episode on Jamie, <laughs> but before I give you my clumsy version of an answer on that, I, I, I just figured out a better way to summarize covenant and why it's scary. Please. And then I'm going to get to it. So covenant is the horror of a subjectively meaningful life in an objectively meaningless context, which is very fucking scary to me. So uh, I, I firmly disagree that there is a, a, that there are no repercussions from our having been here. Although I guess Christian, you're saying that in, in terms of our deleterious effects on the world around us, that will still be there. I, I think the web of causality is so vast and infinite that we have no way of comprehending it. So I, I think that like, even just the interactions that we have with each other, trigger other interactions, which trigger other things, which spin out over chaos theory and might affect some degree of change. I don't think that there's meaning in that. I think that that's just evidence that we were here in the first place, which maybe who knows someday something can divine that we were here in terms of meaning though. My meaning is entirely entirely determined by the humans in my life and the love that and connection that I have with them. And that's why I call myself like an agnostic humanist, right? Like to, to me, like there is just no way of knowing anything outside of what our observable reality is. That's kind of the problem. You know, one of my best friends in the world, he's basically like my brother is a, is a really staunch atheist. And this is something that we talk about till four in the morning. We go on walks through Boston and we just talk endlessly about these ideas. And for him, like there, there is, there is no God. Like, that's just, that's very clear for, for me. Like, I, I, I'm like, how do you, how do you know that or not know it? Like the evidence of not having something is not evidence that it's there and vice versa. Like who fucking cares? Like, it's, honestly, who cares to me? So that's why I'm just like, I, I don't, I don't need to worry about that. 
but I derive in my own subjective reality, enormous amounts of meaning from the people that are in my life. And that, like from the interactions that I have with my children. And the film Prometheus by Ridley Scott. And clearly the film Prometheus by Ridley Scott. Like there there are moments that touch the infinite, that scrape the cosmic when I'm in bed with my children and I'm putting them to sleep. And for me, that meaningfulness exists on an infinite scale because my experience, as far as I'm concerned, ends with my death. So my experience is infinite within that context, right? Like there is no end to it because my end is its end and I don't, I'm not there to see it. So whatever the fuck any of that meant, that's kind of my answer. What about you, Jamie? Um, what I believe is very simple. Um, do I believe in a higher power? Yes, but I don't know what that would be. I don't know what it is. And I think the only way it would iterate in our lives is through love. That's the only way it could, we could understand it. So that's what I believe in. And I, I, do I think we matter? Yes. Can I explain that? No. Would you say you choose to believe? That's what I choose to believe. <laughs> well, and that's what kind of, I think the idea, like talking about Prometheus, and I know we're going to wrap up, but, um, and, you know, Prometheus brings in God the first time into the alien series, this idea of belief in God or whatever, but it waters that idea down. So in such a bullshit way, like it's just such a watered down version of religion. Like there are people who are spiritualists who live in their practice and on a daily basis. And it's not just a tradition that they do. It's something that embodies all of their life. And, but Shaw was just like this cliff notes version wearing, wearing a cross, like she was a, a Catholic, but to bring the idea of a, of a Supreme being into to this planet, these ideas to this planet, that if there is a Supreme being, what does that really mean? And how does that, what's the context? How does, how do you contextualize that with what you're seeing on this planet? I don't know how you really do that. Shaw never really does that. She doesn't really answer any of those questions. She was just, again, this watered down version of, of someone with faith. But I think there were amazing questions that could be posed and some interesting, if they if the dialogue was written right, if it was written well, they could have had interesting moments or interactions Throwing out God. There's one instance in Prometheus where a really great moment of, of dialogue where uh, David is talking to Holloway and uh, talking about like, doesn't everyone want to kill their parents? I think they talk about that, but it's a very existential. What is this all about? It's very interesting. And it just taps this or touches the surface of something that I think is uh, really underneath Prometheus. It's the masterpiece of a film that's underneath a very tepid film um, in many ways. Um, and I wish that they would have explored that more. And I think having the idea of, of this cosmic supreme being, or you can call it God or whatever, in the same room with the themes of Lovecraft, that would have been an interesting conversation, but it never happened. And for, for what it's worth, I think part of why it never happened is Damon Lindelof. I think that that, I think the script went significantly farther astray from a lot of those ideas. Yeah, but, but we've read the script for we've read Spate script and honestly the a lot of the dialogue and characterizations weren't that much better in my opinion. Not necessarily dialogue, but the ways ideas are treated. I think it's a lot oh, subtler, I see. I you see. know, yes, and especially right. the way it ends with evidence yes. of life in other worlds and as mm, I just think it's mm. 
interesting. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to reopen everything, but that's a good point, Jamie. That I never quite thought of is just like we don't. We don't. You never really see or hear Shaw say like, "I don't know what to believe anymore," you know, or grappling with that at all. And it's like she just had everything exploded in front of her. Well, anyway, I guess with that, um, Patrick, you had some <laughs> nice wholesome uh, patrons you wanted to to name. Yeah, you know, we may inhabit a a meaningless universe. The jury's out on that, clearly. But uh, I can tell you what is not meaningless, and that is our patrons. We have some new ones, and uh, I'm going to give them a quick shout out, but I have to go get out of the tab with Erafon Dan again to make sure. Okay, Uh, so let's go back to October. We have Vertigo, uh, Stefan Barton, and James and James actually is our newest patron, and he was just on an episode of Shoulder of Orion. And I want to bring this up because the way that we meet a lot of people who end up coming on our shows, like Mash is a good example of this, is from them writing into us, right? Whether that be on social media or email, coming with great ideas to the point where we're like, I think we should have you on the show to talk with us. That's something that we and then still regret it wholeheartedly <laughs> and now he's coming to my house in three weeks to shoot a movie you know what i mean and of course the first episode maj was on was this like controversial we needed to take a break episode <laughs> well i don't remember that was it you don't remember i was like can we pause for a minute because we were we fighting whatever whatever we weren't fighting the we were episode. Just, it was the geeker episode yeah did we fight on that episode? No, we weren't fighting. It was just the subject matter was a little bit. Oh, I do remember. For lack that. of better oh, yeah, terms, right. triggering for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do. I do. That's and I was right. all like, "Oh gosh, Maj's first impression of me was not good." <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, so no, that, no, no. That's this is all a big pitch. If you want to be in an incredibly uncomfortable moment where we bring up triggering facts <laughs> on an episode and you have to sit there through it, uh, please write into us. Our our email address, which we basically never promote anymore, is perfectorganismpodcast at gmail.com. I personally don't really use social media, but I do check that email box. And that's a great way to talk to us if you want to. Um, and if and if nothing else, please just join our Patreon because we are using the money for many things right now, including the short film that we're about to start shooting in just a few weeks. So thank you to everyone so much who has joined. And James, it was a pleasure having you on Shoulder of Ryan. And can't wait to do it again. To find out more information about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please go to www.perfectorganism.com. If you would like to support the show, please go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.